This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Well, let's start in chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Notice that he's identifying that even though you've got the Holy Ghost in full manifestation, you're ignorant. So it's not knowledge that makes the Holy Ghost move. Can't be. Can it? Now the word spiritual means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So everything he's talking about for the next, four, the next three chapters are things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. What's the first thing he does? He tells how the Holy Ghost moves. He says, this is how the Holy Ghost manifests. First of all, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits, or what we call revelation gifts. Secondly, he manifests himself through special faith, gifts of healings, and working of miracles, or what we call power gifts. Thirdly, he manifests himself through diversities of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy, or what we call vocal gifts. Now, why would Paul tell the church this is how the Holy Ghost moves? Because clearly they're having things operate and and take place in their midst that because of their lack of knowledge about how the Holy Ghost moves and what the Holy Ghost does when he moves, they're having all kinds of things happen that they think is God and it's not. That's why he starts off in the second and the third verses talking about when the Holy Ghost is in manifestation, this is what he does. He magnifies Jesus. And anybody that's magnifying Jesus when the Holy Ghost is in manifestation is doing so by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. What does that tell us? That tells us that there are things that are taking place in and among them that are not magnifying Jesus, that Paul is very simply saying, that's not the Holy Ghost. So what's the deal here? Paul identifies first and foremost, here's how the Holy Ghost moves. Now, these are all things pertaining to the Holy Ghost. Notice what he says in verse 11, but all these worketh, meaning all of the nine manifestations that we just identified, Revelation gifts, power gifts, and vocal gifts. All these work at that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man. Everybody say every. That doesn't mean part of them. That means every man. That means God intends to use everybody. He won't use everybody in the same way, but he intends to use everybody. Why? Because this is the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. That's what Peter's preaching in Acts 2. This is that which was spoken by Joel, the prophet. But all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally. Severally means more than one. It also means specifically. As he wills. For things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many or one body, so also is Christ. And he talks about how the, the church is supposed to work together like a body. Body has an eye, it has a hand, it has a foot. You can't interchange parts. One part can't say to the other part, I'm more important than you or you're more important than me. Now, why in the world would Paul, by the Holy Ghost, think about this. This is the Holy Ghost telling us things concerning him through Paul. Here's the Holy Ghost describing himself, how he works and and, and the function and so forth. This is the Holy Ghost telling you specifically, here's how I work. Now, what could be more important for us to know in the dispensation of the Holy Ghost? the period of time when the Holy Ghost works, other than the Holy Ghost giving us a first-hand account, here's how I operate. Now, you know as well as I do that this is a chapter that the church fights over. Isn't that coincidental? 
Because the devil knows if he can get the church fighting over the, the, the instruction that the Holy Ghost gave about how he works, he can hinder the Holy Ghost from working in the dispensation that the Holy Ghost is given to work. Well, if we've got a church who is instructed by Jesus to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost to, in order to reach the world, trying to reach the world without the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, what have we got? The modern-day church. Powerless, weak, without influence. But important enough that the devil knows he has to shut us down. Important enough that the devil knows in our own country that we better stir up some persecution against the church. Why? Because if they ever wake up, his goose is cooked. And folks, that's exactly what's going on around us. So the Holy Ghost is telling us, here's how I operate. I'll manifest myself in one of these nine ways, revelation gifts, vocal gifts, and power gifts. But then the church works together like a body. Everybody's supposed to have a part. Now, folks, let me ask you a question, and it's a rhetorical question. What's supposed to be your part? The Bible says specifically you have a part. If you don't know your part, how can you operate effectively? And that's the point Paul makes. He says every part of the body has to work together in order for it to work properly. What's your part? The Bible's clear on saying you have one. What is your part? I would submit to you folks that the vast majority of the church has no idea that they're even supposed to be a part. which again is another example of why the church is so powerless in the modern day, in my opinion. So Paul says, here's how the, or the Holy Ghost says through Paul, here's how the body works. Everybody is supposed to have a function. Everybody's supposed to have a part. Everybody has an equal part, although it may not be looked at as equal. In God's eyes, one part's just as important as the other part. For what purpose? Verse 25. In my opinion, verse 25 is the key to the whole thing. Here's the purpose for the Holy Ghost functioning. We know how he functions. He functions by one of the nine manifestations identified earlier in the chapter. It tells us that the body works together and everybody's supposed to have a part in order for things to work properly. What is the purpose, verse 25, that there should be no schism or lack or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one to another? What is Paul telling a church that's divided? He's telling, telling them very specifically you need to know things about the Holy Ghost. First of all, the Holy Ghost will manifest himself in specific ways, these nine specific ways, not any and every other way that, he might, that you think he's doing now, but in these nine specific ways. Secondly, everybody's supposed to work together so that nobody's missing out on anything in the body. In other words, the moving of the Holy Ghost is not supposed to be about you and how God's using you. The moving of the Holy Ghost is supposed to be with the attitude that Lord, move so that the other guy is blessed and helped. It's talking about changing their attitude toward one another. It's talking about walking in love. That's further identified by chapter 13 being all about love. He said, I'm showing you a more excellent way. These are the ministry gifts. The end of chapter 12. These are the, the ministry gifts, the ones God set in the, sets in the church. But let me show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way is to walk in love. Don't seek after your own. Don't take into account of the evil done unto you and so forth. 
What is he talking about? He's talking about things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. Now let's back up for a minute. What did we find out was the operation of the early church, the pattern of the early church when there was a move of God in Jerusalem? They were united in doctrine. They were united in fellowship or meaning walking in love toward one another. And they were united in prayer. What has Paul told them so far? He's told them doctrine in order for them to be united about the move of the Holy Ghost. He's telling them now about walking in love toward one another. There's only one missing ingredient. What's the missing ingredient? Prayer. Well, what does Paul start talking about after chapter 13? The operation of tongues in the church. The operation of tongues in the church. What does he tell them? He tells them in chapter 14, verse 2. He said, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. When you speak in tongues, you're not talking to one another, so don't worry about who's hearing you. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. When you're speaking in other tongues, you're not talking for people's benefit, which is what they were doing in their services. He goes on and says that when people come to your services, they don't know God. They don't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They hear you speaking in tongues. They think you're crazy. So he brings order to it. How does he bring order? By letting them know, here's what tongues are about. No question that they're using them. No question that they're operating in tongues. But now he says, here's the purpose for tongues. The purpose for tongues is to speak to God. And what are you supposed to speak to him? Divine secrets or mysteries. What was the church in Jerusalem doing in Acts chapter 4 when they were threatened by the Jewish council? They were let go and went to their own company. And they, they reported all that the chief priests and elders said. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and prayed, Lord, grant unto your servants boldness that they may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the holy child Jesus. What are they doing? They're speaking divine secrets to God. Those are what mysteries are, folks. It's praying the will of God in the spirit language that the Holy Ghost gives you. Now, that's the example that we have where the Holy Ghost reveals to us what he gave them to say and how he interpreted it for us. Now, you can come up with your own interpretation if you want to, but that's the one God gave us. Verse 3, but he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. To edify means to build up. Literally means to put the roof on the house. Literally means to put the roof on the house. We sometimes use it in in, uh, an electrical sense because it means to charge up like a battery as well. But the the Hebrew, um, uh, I'm sorry, the Greek um, illustration for the word is to put a roof on a house. In other words, the Holy Ghost will do repairs. The Holy Ghost will do repairs. Now, what's the church doing? The church is trying to repair things without the Holy Ghost. The church is trying to accomplish the work of God without the power of God. And the church is trying to accomplish whatever repairs they think need to be made in their own lives through the power of the flesh. And you can't do it. So what are we to do? Use the supernatural ability that God's given us to speak in other tongues through the baptism of the Holy Ghost to speak in other tongues because he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself that means to charge yourself strengthen yourself spiritually it means to make repairs spiritually but he that prophesies edifies or builds up the church now notice what Paul said in verse 5 he said I would that you all speak with tongues 
Folks, he's not saying start speaking in tongues. They're already doing that. They're already doing that. The one characteristic, if we pull out everything about the Corinthian church, the one characteristic that we can say is not that they're holy. They're not. Not that they're spiritually mature because they're not. Not that they're walking in love because they're not. Not that they're without sin in their church because they're not. What's the one element that we can say about the Holy Ghost, uh, about the church at Corinth relative to the move of the Holy Ghost? They speak in other tongues. That's it. That's it. You can't find one other thing that Paul identifies or commends these people for that winds up being anything more than just a compliment to get him to listen to what he's saying. The one element that they have is that they speak in other tongues. Now, remember what we talked about, the principles of the early church? They were in one accord in doctrine, one accord in breaking of bread and fellowship, meaning walking in love toward one another. They were in unity. And third, prayer. What is the one element about this church? Not doctrine, not unity, but prayer, speaking in other tongues. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So Paul says, I would that you all speak with tongues. You're doing great speaking in tongues, but he's bringing order. He does not say, you folks need to stop that tongue-talking things. That's going to pass away pretty soon anyway, so just give that up. That's not what he says. He says, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied for greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. So what's he talking about? He's saying, when you come together, I'd rather you speak in a language that everybody can hear and understand. Paul goes further. And says in verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church. Verse 19. Yet in the church. What is Paul saying? Now here's something we need to get about Paul who started moves of God nearly everywhere that he went. Not instantly. Sometimes he was there for months. But sooner or later, preaching the word, after a period of time, a miracle would take place and cities would be turned upside down. Notice what Paul said about his own life. He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than any of you. Just not in the church. Just not in the church. So it indicates that God doesn't use Paul much in tongues and interpretation in public services. 
Well, then when does Paul speak in other tongues? Well, if it's not in the church, it must be outside the church in his own private prayer life. What's he trying to get them to do? Quit using up all your church service time for speaking in tongues and pray in other tongues when you're by yourselves in your daily lives. What is he doing? Is he trying to stop the move of the Holy Ghost? No, he's trying to bring order to it. He's trying to bring order to it so that people are blessed and that the, the gospel is preached with a witness. Now think about the church at Corinth. They've got signs and wonders taking place. They come behind a no good gift, which means miracles and gifts of healings and so forth, power gifts. But the city is not won by the miracles. Why? Because they're conducting themselves in such a way that everybody thinks they're nuts. Nuts with miracles, but nuts. Folks, this is real, real important. I'm trying to make it simple. But this is super important. So what is the Holy Ghost revealing? He's revealing how he operates. He's revealing the importance of of the body working together. In other words, the purpose, our purpose for wanting the move of the Holy Ghost shouldn't be so that God sees, so that people see God using me, but so that everybody is helped as God sees fit. How are we going to bring that about? In their case, by altering the way that they're operating in tongues, not stopping it. He's not saying you need to pray more in other tongues. Because every time they're praying in tongues, whether they know it or not, the Holy Ghost is praying for the Holy Ghost to move because that's what he does. He gives us utterance to pray that the Holy Ghost will move. Why? Because this is the time period, the dispensation for the Holy Ghost. Folks, I would submit to you that there's not a problem that you'll ever face that won't be fixed by the moving of the Holy Ghost. Now, we don't look at it like that. We think, oh, my God, we've got rent due. Our bills are stacking up. Lord, help us. Give us money. Give us a new job. Give us a new house. Give us a new car. Give me, give me, give me. And I would submit to you folks that there is not one issue, not one problem, not one area of life that you'll ever have a problem that is not and will not be fixed by the moving of the Holy Ghost. Because here's something about the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost begins to move, it's like a river. It just sweeps you along with it. Did you notice when the Holy Ghost began to move, they didn't have any money trouble? Everybody had all things in common. Can I ask you a question? How do you get Jews to sell things and give to other people? I don't mean that to be unkind. I don't mean that to be smart. But the Jews know they're in danger. They have to keep their stuff with them. Because at any moment, one of the same things that have happened throughout history could happen again, and they need to be able to move at a moment's notice. That's the attitude of the Jews. Something has changed them to be willing to give up their stuff for people that are just part of the family of God now that they may not have even liked last week. Something's happened. That's what takes place when the move of the Holy Ghost. Haggai chapter 2 has a very interesting phrase, a very interesting verse. Uh, Verse 7 says, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. He goes further to say that the glory of the last day church will be greater than the glory of the former. That former could be the, the temple of Solomon where the priest couldn't stand to minister because of the reason of the cloud 
presence of God, or it could be the former days of the church, what we'll read about in the book of Acts. I think both are true. I think the move of God in the last day, the latter reign, is going to be greater than anything the church has ever seen before. But right on the heels of verse 7 where it talks about the glory of God being seen in all the the earth, it says in verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Folks, there's got to be a connection. God connected silver and gold with glory. But what happens? So much of the church world pursues the gold, forgets about the glory of God. When the answer to the gold problem is the glory of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. So what does Paul tell him? He says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church. I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Why in the world is Paul telling them that he'd rather speak in a language they can hear and understand than speak in other tongues during a church service or church gathering? Because, folks, the more knowledge you gain of the truth of God's word, the more you'll be able to cooperate effectively with the Holy Ghost so that he can move the way that he wants to. I've always been intrigued by the scripture that tells us about how that Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept and said, Oh, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you to myself as a hen just chat to gather a little chicks, but you would not. I've often wondered how many people are in the same boat where God is not able to do things that he wants to do with them and for them and through them. Should we not examine ourselves to make sure that we're not in that same boat? Should we not examine ourselves regularly, consistently, to make sure that we're not in a position where we're hindering God from doing what he wants to do? I mean, look at Jesus in Nazareth, Mark chapter 6. And he could in his own hometown of Nazareth do there do no mighty work. Doesn't say that he wouldn't, says he couldn't. He went in teaching them that he's anointed by the Holy Ghost to heal, but he couldn't heal. Why? He marveled because of their unbelief. So God was not able, he was prevented from doing the things that he wanted to do in them and among them. Yet how much of the church world sits back and says, well, whatever God wants is the way it's going to be. Apparently not so in Jesus' ministry. Apparently not so where Jerusalem was concerned. What if God wants to do things with our church that he's not able to do because we won't participate? What if God wants to do things with our church? What if there's a move of God that he wants to institute or, or initiate among us that will heal the sick, do signs and wonders and miracles, and bring thousands of people into the kingdom of God that he's not able to do because we won't do our part? I got a better idea. Let's cooperate. How do we do that? Folks, the same elements that we see in the early days in Jerusalem are the elements that Paul identifies with the Corinthians. Understand what the Holy Ghost does and what his purpose is. Walk in love toward one another and pray in the Spirit. Same three elements. Same three elements. What do you think God wants for us? Exactly the same. Now, folks, we've laid a foundation of the Word that gives the Holy Ghost perfect opportunity to move. We've taught you to walk in love. That's a challenge for us every day. 
and always will be. But we can choose, no matter what somebody else does to us, no matter what else is going on around us, we can choose to walk in love and not harbor unforgiveness against any one other person. But the third part is really the key, for us at least. The third part is to get every member of the body of Christ, every member that considers this to be their home church, praying for the move of the Holy Ghost and for the healing of the sick. If we'll do that, if we'll take that on as a job, church will be something that people will run to get to. And it won't have anything to do with me. It won't have anything to do with you. It'll be a place where people know that God answers prayers. That's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. So what's the devil's part? To get you so tied up, you're too busy to pray. To get you so distracted, you don't care as much about praying for the other guy as you do getting God to answer your own needs. That's what he's working overtime on now. But what does the Bible tell us to do? Zechariah 10.1. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. That's the time of the Holy Ghost. Ask the Lord to move by the Holy Spirit in the time, the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. That's our time. So the Lord shall make bright clouds. It indicates both a display of His power and a manifestation of His presence. And give them showers of rain. He'll give us showers of rain. You've got a guarantee from God. If we'll pray for the move of the Holy Ghost, He'll give us the move of the Holy Ghost. No ifs, ands, or buts. And he tells us what the result of that will be too. Those showers of rain will bring to everyone grass in the field. In other words, the precious fruit of the earth. People being one into the kingdom of God. Just like in Acts chapter 5. Verse, what was it? Verse 14 and 15. Believers were the more added to the Lord daily such as should be saved in so much as they brought the sick into the streets. It was the healing of the sick that brought believers into the kingdom of God daily. Well, if that was God's pattern in the early days of the church, why would we think his pattern has changed? It hasn't. Hadn't changed a bit. That's still his pattern today. Healing has always been the dinner bell, folks. Healing has always been the dinner bell. F.F. Bosworth said that he started off as an evangelist. And he'd get people saved here and there in his crusades. But when God started dealing with him about teaching on healing, divine healing, and he did, the crowds grew and people started getting healed, he said... We get a hundred times the people saved now that we did when I was just preaching evangelism or evangelistically. We get a hundred times more people saved in our crusades, in our campaigns. Why? Because healing is the dinner bell. Healing shows the power of God that we're trying to get people to come and give their lives to. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, but... Wait till you receive the power of the Spirit first. He'll empower you to be witnesses. God still wants His people to be witnesses. He still wants the power of the Holy Ghost to demonstrate that we are witnesses of the truth of Jesus' resurrection that we're preaching. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. So he says, Jehovah is distinctly the redemptive name of deity 
and means the self-existent one who reveals himself. So it's names that God identifies or gives to himself that he wants people to know this about him. He then says, in his redemptive relation to man, Jehovah has seven compound names which reveal him as meeting every need of man from his lost state to the end. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.